Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, we are on a journey, as uh, Kristen and Michelle said, uh, during the, uh, the uh, announcement time, the, the uh, community update. And uh, part of that journey involves um, going on a trip with the people of Israel. So I thought just for fun this morning, we would find out what kind of travelers we have here among us. Someone has said, if you really want to find out what someone is truly like, get into a car with them. So we're going to find out a little bit about you today. So uh, if everyone would, uh, you're going to sit or stand based on these responses, okay? We're going to find out what kind of travelers we have. I want you to stand if you consider yourself a speeder. This is a moment of honesty, right? Okay. All right, look around, folks. That's who you need to avoid. All right, you can sit down. I want you to stand if you drive with your gas light on quite a bit. All right, and I want you to remain standing if it's your spouse's or significant other's fault most of the time. <laughs> All right, okay, you can sit down. I want you to stand if you are on a road trip and you believe that you should drive straight through without stopping at all. And my kind of people right here, folks. That's what we're talking about, okay? Very good. I want you to stand if you got stranded in your car and you could survive on the food in your car, including the food in your seats. How many of you could survive for a few days? <laughs> All the minivan parents will stand up. Okay. How many of you would stand, if you get lost, you will stop and ask for directions? Look at this. Mostly female, I might point out. Okay, last one. If you consider yourself the safest driver in your family, stand up. <laughs> All right. A lot, lot of couples standing up right now. <laughs> All right, you can sit down. Very interesting. Find a lot about people when you travel with them. And last Sunday, we began a journey with a guy named Moses and the people of Israel. And it revolves around, their story revolves around a place that we call the wilderness. If you remember last week, if you happen to be here, God comes to Moses when he is a fugitive in the wilderness. And he calls him to a very important task. This is what he says. He says to Moses, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Today, I want to talk about one aspect of the journey of the children of Israel that I first noticed several years ago from an article written by a guy named David Hanley. I want you to consider today what the Bible talks about as the roundabout ways of God. 
Sometimes God leads his children in places they do not want to go. And I want to talk about what happens when God leads us into the wilderness and how we can say yes to God even in that difficult place. Here's the story. God is going to take Moses and his people on a journey from a very bad place, a place of slavery and oppression, to a very good place, a place they call the promised land. It is a place that supposedly is flowing with milk and honey, kind of a representative of a life of freedom and abundance. And it sounds like in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus that it's going to be a real simple journey. There's two parts of it, just two. God says, I'm going to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, and I'm going to bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, the Israelites know this very well. This journey should not take very long. Once they leave Egypt, all they have to do is cross the little Sinai Peninsula. Truth is, they could do it in a matter of weeks, probably even less time. There was a route actually from Egypt to the Promised Land. I'll show you here on a map, if you would, just uh, one example. The route to the Promised Land is kind of a straight shot. If you look over to Egypt and you go kind of east and the north up to where the Jordan River and Jerusalem is located, that is the Promised Land. You can see it's a pretty straight shot. Think about it this way. If the Promised Land were over around Daytona, that would be how the crow flies, uh, that's about how far we would be. Lakeland to Daytona, Egypt to uh, the Promised Land. But something very surprising happens in this story. God leads them in a way that they do not expect, nor do they want to go. Here's what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led people, and here's the phrase, by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. They set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they may travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God takes his people on a different path, what is called the roundabout way of God. It was not the quickest route. In fact, to be honest with you, it was a very odd route. I'm going to help you visualize this through another map. This is a picture of the actual roundabout way of God. Nobody knows exactly how many twists and turns it had, although it had a lot of them. And you have to imagine for just a moment in this story what it means for the people of Israel. Imagine a nation gathered together and Pharaoh has agreed and released them to leave. Pharaoh has not been destroyed. His armies have not been destroyed yet. That will come later in the story. All the people had to do at this point is cross the Sinai Peninsula. And they didn't even have to do it on their own. God actually said, I'm going to give them a pillar of uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Everywhere they went, they were going to be guided by God. But then this pillar starts moving. <laughs> and instead of heading east and then north, the pillar starts going south. The pillar's like a lot of men, directionally challenged, apparently. 
And the pillar leads them into the wilderness. And this causes the great crisis of the book of Exodus. Will the people follow God when they don't understand? Will the people of God follow him when it doesn't make sense? Will God's people stay faithful on the roundabout way? Now here's one of God's most annoying traits to people. Very irritating. He never seems to be in a hurry. Ever notice this? He tends, for whatever reason, God tends to lead people in roundabout ways. You need to understand, this isn't a minor detour, friends. This isn't a little excursion off to the side. For those of you who are familiar with this story, maybe from Sunday school, anybody remember how long Israel will spend in this wilderness? 40 years. Geographically, this is a trip that should take two weeks they're going to learn some really important things. You know, the wilderness, as I said last week, is a very important place in the Bible. Many of God's people will spend prolonged time there. Moses did before he became a leader. He spent 40 years in the wilderness of Midian. At the climax of his ministry, Elijah was threatened by Queen Jezebel, so he ran into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. After his baptism, when Jesus was given the great seal of approval, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the Gospel of Mark says that the Spirit of God kind of drove Jesus, thrust Jesus into the wilderness where he stayed there 40 days and 40 nights. And what I want you to know is if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow his son Jesus, everybody's going to log some time in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place in life where you do not want to go. The wilderness is the place where there is no milk and honey. The wilderness is a place that is dry and barren. At some point, you can pretty much count on it. It's guaranteed that you'll log some time in the wilderness. This will be times when your heart aches, maybe with hurt or loss. This will be times when you get fatigued and listen, sleep does not even refresh you. This will be times when you long for something, you you actually yearn for something and as best you can tell it's not a selfish or a bad thing but it just seems like God for whatever reason will not grant the request sometimes it'll be triggered by a relationship or an event maybe a child you love who's a prodigal son or daughter and they leave and they won't come back or a financial disaster and you cherished a dream that you had and now you realize it's not going to come true Sometimes the wilderness comes for no discernible reason at all. You're confused and you wonder why. Now, some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. Some of you may be there in a few days or weeks or months or years. And I wish I could find the right words to say this to you, but I'll say them as tender as I know how, and that is God has not forgotten you in the wilderness. You may feel abandoned, but you are not. God sometimes does lead his children in the roundabout way of the wilderness, but he never forgets them, and he's never in a hurry. <laughs> and what I want to do in these last few moments is I'd like to just kind of walk through what God is up to in the wilderness. His way is very rarely the quickest. It is seldom the easiest, but it turns out that it's almost always the best way. 
Something happens in us in the wilderness. And I want to kind of walk through that, some life lessons about walking with God in the wilderness, wandering around with him. Here's the first one. The wilderness is the place where you will learn patience and understand how to follow a God who is not in a hurry. You know, when people get in the wilderness, they start getting anxious about being there. They're kind of like donkey on the trip. Are we there yet? They want to do anything they can to get out of the wilderness. And the danger, the danger is that they always look for a quick fix. And here's the quick fix. Let's go back to Egypt. The worst thing they could ever possibly do was to return to slavery. The wilderness is the place where people learn to follow God one day at a time. Every day, the people would wake up. It's in the text. And there was the pillar. Now, they had to decide, do we follow this pillar, this twisting, winding, roundabout way? Better yet, here's an even better one. If the pillar sits still today and doesn't move one inch, do we just sit here in the wilderness? I mean, let's be honest. If I told you how to get from here to Daytona Beach, you could do it yourself. But what if I said, follow the pillar? And the pillar sits here day after day after day. One of the ways that God does this is he teaches them about this by feeding them manna. But it says in the story, the children of Israel got very impatient with this manna business and they started to stockpile it. And Moses commands them in Exodus, he says, let no one leave any of the manna over until morning. What he's saying is, listen, we're going to take this one day at a time. There's going to be no leftovers. But the people get anxious. They get afraid. They get concerned. So some of them tried to stockpile it and save up the manna from one day to the next. And it says in Exodus 16 that the manna bred worms and became foul. Let me tell you something. If you think that manna is not so hot and you get tired of manna, just let it start breeding worms. Let it start being rotten day after day. See, manna has a short shelf life. It's kind of like, you know, fruit, other things that come with an expiration date. Manna is good for today, and that's all it's good for. Now, you would think, this is kind of crazy. The people in the wilderness... Day after day after day. And God's hoping, he's hoping that at some point they will think, God took care of me yesterday. I really have a strong feeling that today's going to be another day where God takes care of me. After 300 or 400 or 500 or 1,000 days in a row, maybe the people would start saying to themselves, you know, I think there's going to be men out there on the ground again tomorrow. See, the wilderness is that perfect place in life where you learn patience. Some of you are married this morning, and it has become a wilderness experience for you. You had hopes and dreams about your relationship, and they have not come true, and the truth is, they may never. The question is, will you be obedient to God and your marriage? Will you love your spouse as best you can one day at a time? Will you love your spouse when it is not easy? Let me tell you, when you're married, sometimes it's not easy. There's a very old couple, been married 50 years, they're laying in bed. 
The wife says to her husband, she says, you know, when we first got married, you used to hold my hand. Even when we were in bed going to sleep, why don't you do that anymore? There's a long pause because he doesn't really feel like holding her hand. His hand-holding apparatus isn't as strong as it once was. Finally, he reaches his hand out and he clutches onto hers and he holds her hand, but still she's not satisfied. She says, when we were first married, you used to snuggle up next to me in bed. There's a long pause because his snuggling apparatus isn't as active as it used to be. Finally, he rolls over and creakily snuggles up next to her. She's still not satisfied, and she says, when we first got married, you know, you used to nibble on my ear a little bit at night. He flings back the covers and gets out of bed, and she's hurt, and she says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> it's for you over 40 crowders, okay? <laughs> you see, it's one thing to nibble on your ear when you're in love, listen, and you're young, and you have a lot of vitality. And the scent of udu or whatever is in the air. It's another thing when you have a hearing aid and been gay. <laughs> and you have to get your teeth. The question is, will you learn to be patient when you're in the wilderness? Will you trust God one day at a time? Some of you are in relationships. And that is your wilderness right now. You're having to learn how to be patient with spouses or kids or neighbors or co-workers. That's the first thing. Do not go back to Egypt. Do not go back there. The second lesson is really important. Got a little pain attached to it, but it's really good. And that is the wilderness is a place where God makes us strong in our soul. If you allow him to, the wilderness is that perfect place where God will make you mighty in your soul. Now, here's the question we ask. When we go into the wilderness, the question is, why am I being led into the wilderness? And this is one of the few stories in Scripture where we actually find out what God has in mind. Like there's a reason behind it that he wants to tell us. He says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. Listen now. Why doesn't he do it? This is why. For God thought if the people face war, they will change their minds and return to Egypt. If they go the direct route, it will take them past a very hostile group of people, people that were the enemies of the Israelites. God was perfectly capable of defending them perfectly capable of delivering them, but he knew, he knew that the people of Israel were not ready for that. They're too scared. They're too frightened. It would take time to develop courage and faith. They were never going to develop that on the direct route. Now, here's the hard thing to hear. God is not concerned or as concerned with where his people are going as he is about who they're going to be when they finally get there. God is not nearly as concerned as where I am or what job I get into or what house I get to buy or, listen, who I even end up with necessarily as he is about who I am becoming. For 400 years, they had seen themselves as slaves. They thought of themselves as slaves. They never in a million years thought of themselves as mighty, strong people of God. 
This is an old observation. I don't know who made it first, but it is deeply true. It took one night to lead Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. In fact, you know the story. Most of that generation did not even make it to the promised land. Listen, when everything's working right, when your prayers are getting answers and your kids have straight white teeth, when your boss loves you, faith is not hard then. But in the wilderness, friends, as Joseph <laughs> promised to be a great leader, sold into slavery, ends up in an Egyptian jail for years. Joseph dies. He never makes it to the promised land. In fact, we're told in Exodus that it's his bones that Moses and the people are actually carrying with them. <coughs> Joseph knows about the roundabout ways of God. David, anointed to be the king of Israel. You'd think that's a straight shot to the throne. Only he finds himself a homeless fugitive living in caves in the wilderness trying to escape from being killed by King Saul. Daniel, wise and faithful, you would think it would be a straight shot, a position of honor, and yet he ends up exiled, a strange land, persecuted for his faith, thrown into a den of lions. And see, God is still leading Daniel, but he's leading him on a roundabout way. Here's what I've noticed from, from, from kind of leaders like this in Scripture. The key to growing strong in the wilderness is giving thanks even when you don't see a reason to. When you can give thanks in the wilderness, then you know that you are growing strong. See, this is when you've been led in a way that you don't want to go and you have no clue how it's going to end, but you still stand up and you still say with that kind of defiant hope in your heart, God is going to be faithful to me and he has not let me go. And I refuse to go back to Egypt. When that happens, friends, something mighty happens in your soul. I want to say a word here to some of the singles in this church. One of the most challenging parts of being a single is remembering how much God cares for you as a human being. And when you are single and you have a desire to be in a relationship with someone, in an honorable way and in a good way. Sometimes it's very difficult to let God grow a mighty soul in you. And here's why. Because at every turn of the road, at every place in our society, they tell you over and over again, you need somebody else. And you've been waiting for Mr. Right or Miss Right. And you're starting to think now at this point in your life, because God forbid you're in your 20s still. <laughs> Late 20s. <laughs> and you start thinking to yourself, maybe I should just settle for a miss not so terribly wrong. <laughs> Listen, ask God to make you strong in your soul. Why well, I'm on this roundabout way. We could go on and on. It could be relationships. It could be finances. It could be whatever. If you're on the roundabout way, will you be faithful? Listen, if in, even if it means 40 years of faithfulness. Even if it means, and this is hard to hear, even if it means you may not actually make it to the promised land. At least on this side 
of the grave. Because something is happening in you when you do that. Your soul is becoming mighty. The third thing about the wilderness has a little pain attached to it as well, and it's this, and that is the wilderness is the place where we often come face to face with our greatest temptation and sin. This is tough. The wilderness, for whatever reason, is often the place where I come face to face with darkness. When Satan came to Jesus three times, it was in the wilderness. And the truth about human nature, and I know this is hard to hear sometimes, especially at church, but oftentimes we need wilderness-like experiences to get us to face the truth about our lives. Now let me be clear about this. Just because I'm in a wilderness experience does not mean it is because I am sinning and I need to deal with something. Believe me, there are people who are just having a wild time sinning and their lives are going fairly smooth. This isn't a simplistic deal, okay? But sometimes we need wilderness experiences. A wonderful Christian writer by the name of Brendan Manning, he writes about an unforgettable wilderness experience in the life of an alcoholic named Max. Max was kind of a nominal Christian, a very wealthy owner of his own business, very poised, very confident, but he refused to acknowledge the truth about himself, about his drinking. And Max needed a wilderness experience, and he ended up with Brendan Manning in an alcoholic rehabilitation center. And the group was led by a very skilled and colorful therapist named Sean Murphy O'Connor. And focusing on Max in a therapy session, the therapist knew that Max's defenses kind of needed to get pierced. So he began with a very emphatic question. He looked at Max and he says, so how long have you been drinking like a pig? Max protested. He said, well, that's not very fair. And it took relentless cross-examination and calls to several bars that Max frequented before he finally acknowledged that he kept two cases of vodka in the garage along with a case of gin, bourbon, and scotch, a bottle of vodka in his nightstand, a bottle of gin in his suitcase when he traveled, and three more bottles of gin at the office for entertaining clients. At first, Max lied about all of this, and finally he acknowledged it, and he said, I guess that we all gild the lily once or twice. Somebody in the group spoke up and said, Max, you're a liar. Max said, look now, there's no need to get vindictive. Remember the image in John's gospel about the speck in your brother's eye and the two by four in your own and the other one in Matthew about the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> Max didn't know scripture very well. <laughs> and then there was this question. The therapist asked, have you ever been unkind to one of your kids? Max began rattling off how wonderful he was with his kids. I didn't ask you that. At least once in your life, Max, ever, have you as a father been unkind to one of your kids? Give us an example. There was a long pause, and finally Max says, I was a little thoughtless with my nine-year-old daughter last Christmas Eve. What happened? I don't remember, but I get this heavy feeling. Where did it happen? What were the circumstances? I told you, I can't remember. I just can't shake this awful feeling. Unobtrusively, in the midst of the session, the therapist dialed Max's hometown and spoke with his wife. Ma'am, this is Sean Murphy O'Connor. 
We're in the middle of a group session, and your husband just told us that he was unkind to your daughter last Christmas Eve. Would you mind giving us the details? A very soft voice filled the room. She said, yes, I can tell you the whole thing. It seemed like it happened yesterday. Our daughter Debbie wanted a pair of shoes for her Christmas present, and on the afternoon of December 24th, my husband drove her downtown, gave her $60, and told her to buy the best pair of shoes in the store. So that's what he did. When she climbed back into the truck that her father was driving, she kissed him and told him that he was the best dad in the whole world. Max decided to celebrate on the way home. He stopped at the Cork and Bottle, a tavern a few miles from our house. He told Debbie that he would be right out. It was a clear, extremely cold day, about 12 degrees above zero, so Max left the motor running. He locked both doors from the outside so no one could get in. It was a little after 3 p.m. And then there was complete silence on the phone. The sound of heavy breathing filled the room and her voice grew faint. And as she cried, she said, my husband met some old army buddies in the tavern and he swept up in the euphoria over meeting them and he lost track of time and he came out of the cork and bottle at midnight. He was drunk. The motor had stopped running. The truck windows were frozen shut and Debbie was badly frostbitten on both of her ears and on her fingers. And when we got her to the hospital, the doctors had to operate and they amputated the thumb and forefinger on her right hand. She will be hard of hearing for the rest of her life. In the rest of this whole account, the therapist talks about the pain of one human being coming to grips with the truth about who he is and what he had done. You see, I may not have done things like that, but the truth is we've all wounded people. We've done some things. And we avoid it, and we don't like to talk about it. Who would? But we have to come to grips with this kind of stuff in the wilderness. And God, through his love and through his grace, he offers healing and forgiveness, and usually it will happen in the wilderness. Today I just say to you, if you have resentment or judgmentalism or envy or whatever else it is inside of you, God calls to you and says, come on, let me help you face this. And if you will say to God, even today, even this very moment, God, I want to come clean with you. The wilderness is where that can happen. Let me say it again. The wilderness is the place where we learn patience and meet God who is never in a hurry. The wilderness is the place where we're made strong in our souls and it is the place where we see the truth about our hearts. But one last thing, and we'll close with this. The wilderness is the place where we learn to love God for God's sake. And not just for the sake of the milk and honey that he gives us. I don't know if you've ever seen these little machines in video arcade rooms that have toys all in them, stuffed animals. And if you put 50 cents in the machine, there is this crane arm that will go out and you push a button and it drops down. And the goal is to pick up one of those toys that look like they're worth much more than 50 cents. Anybody ever seen those? Played them a million times with my kids. Do you know how easy it is to get one of those toys? 
It could be the hardest thing in the world. Just a few weeks ago, I was with my niece. We were at one of those arcade places called Dave and Buster's. We watched a little kid at one of those machines, and he almost worshipped it. He said sweet things to the machine. <laughs> and he gave the machine all the money, or in that case, all the points he had on his card. He tithed to that machine <laughs> until every penny he had on that card was gone. And that machine never gave him one single toy. Not one. Now when those toys would not come out of that machine and all his money was gone, let me ask you, do you think he still loved that machine? <laughs> See, this one kind of stings a little bit, but here's the truth. The wilderness are the times in your life when there are no toys coming out of the machine. No promotions, no success, no reputation, maybe even not even good health. And then I find out, do I really love God? Or do I just love him for the toys? Do I really love God because he is, listen, wonderful beyond all imagining and because he is my father who sent his son to take my place? Do I really love him or am I just trying to kind of use him right now? See, in the wilderness, this terrible and wonderful thing happens at the same time. The wilderness is the place you lose everything, but you find God. And you realize God really is enough. For he is the God of the wilderness, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He is the God of the roundabout way. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to the day when every mountain will be laid low and every valley will be raised up. We look forward to the day when there will be no roundabout ways. There will just be straight roads and the scripture says that the wilderness will blossom. And those who remain faithful in it will rejoice. But until that day comes, we sometimes will walk the way of the wilderness. And as we do, may we remember that it is the place where you make us mighty in our souls. It is the place where we can be patient and wait on God. A God who never seems to be in a hurry. And it is the place where we will ultimately find out, do we love you, God, for love's sake? Or is it because of the milk and honey you promise us? As we stand today, maybe some of us in the wilderness, and we prepare our hearts to come to the table of communion, we reflect on the love of God and how he has walked with us through the wilderness. I pray that now in Jesus' name.